Church, let us begin with a time of worship. Unfortunately, we're still not able to sing due to the current restrictions, but let's just spend some time worshipping Him in our hearts. Welcome, Church. Before we begin, whether you're tuning with us online or in person, let's just spend some time in just preparing our hearts in uh, some reflective worship as we come and just prepare our hearts for, for the presence of God in this place. Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Very good evening to every one of you present here in the sanctuary, and also for those of you who are tuning in online. Welcome to this, our Holy Communion service, and may the Lord be with you, and also with you. We continue with the service. I can invite you to refer to the screen as we begin with the opening words. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said that the first commandment is this, the Lord our God is the only Lord, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for there's no other commandment greater than these. Together we say, Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us, and write all these laws in our hearts. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to save us all from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us all to eternal life. So let us spend a moment as we confess of our sins in penitence and faith, we resolve to keep God's commandment and to live in love and peace with 
all men. I invite you now to spend a moment in silence as we reflect on our own lives, as we allow the Spirit to search our hearts, to bring to our mind any known sin that we have committed, and come to the Lord in a time of confession. So let us corporately now respond as we repent by saying the following words. Together we say, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men in thought, word, and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in the newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. And so let's receive the forgiveness that comes from the Almighty God alone. So Almighty God who forgives all who truly repent, may he have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins. May he confirm and strengthen you in his goodness and keep you in life eternal through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so as redeemed people, we now take this time as we continue in the time of meditative worship. Church, let us begin with a time of worship. Unfortunately, we're still not able to sing due to the current restrictions, but let's just spend some time worshipping him in our hearts. to your presence Oh we worship you
This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
Creator, you know us best. Lord, there are times where we may feel reluctant. There are times, Lord, that things happen against us, against what we are used to. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you. That God, you have your way in our lives because we seek to honour you we seek to glorify your holy name. Even as we think about the world, what's happening in the world today, Lord, we can only look to you, our sovereign God, our omnipotent God, our omniscient God, the God who knows all, the Lord who is the God who is all-powerful, we ask, Lord, that you look upon this world that you have created with mercy, with love, with your compassion. Right now, today, we want to think about Philippines that is going through storms and typhoon. During this season, where this rainy season, where we know, where the newspaper have reported lives are lost, homes are lost. We pray that you bring comfort, you bring restoration. Father, we just pray, Lord, for the, this country. Father, we pray for your mercy upon the country. You look upon this country with mercy, Lord. Many of them are your children. Many of them call upon your name. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you, sovereign God, have mercy. Even for Singapore, at this time I thought that we would just pause a moment and lift up those we know that may be receiving quarantine orders, having close contact with people who are infected with COVID-19 virus or tested positive, we want to remember them. May they be our friends, may they be our relatives. We want to remember them. Pray that the Lord will keep them safe. Would you just name them to the Lord?
Father, we pray for your healing hand upon those who are tested positive for the virus. Father, you know who they are, especially within the household of faith as they call upon you. Father, will you be merciful that you pour forth your healing balm to be upon them. Father, we pray for those who are receiving quarantine order, be they be quarantined at home or elsewhere. Father, we pray that your peace will rest upon them, that, Lord, that you will surround each person with your presence, that you surround each person, Lord, letting them know that you are near, that during times such as this, we pray that you'll be so real to them, that your promise to us is that you will never leave us nor will you forsake us, that you are Jehovah Shama, the Lord who is there in every situation. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can lean on you. We can lean on your faithfulness upon our lives because you are our Father and you take delight in the affairs of your children. Thank you, Lord. We also want to pray for our government as they go through this pandemic, as they make plans for the nation during this pandemic. God, we know that they may be tired, that God, they may be quick running out of ideas, but God, will you energize them? May you grant them creative ideas. God, we pray for the doctors and those in medical care, Lord, that you watch over them. May, may, may they not grow weary, but Lord, that they'll be energized by you. So God, we commit this whole situation into your hand. God, we know that it takes a lot of adjustment, but God, Help us, Lord, to be patient. Help us, Lord, not to let our guard down too easily. So we commit ourselves into your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. invite you now, church, to stand as we receive the gospel reading. <coughs> the gospel reading for this evening can be found in the gospel according to St. Mark, beginning at the 10th chapter, reading from verse 2. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Mark's gospel, chapter 10, reading from verse 2 to verse 12. 
And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 10, And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband, and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Will you please be seated? You know, up to this point in our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, we find that the Apostle Paul had been dealing with the sins of the congregation that, has, that was reported to him. And so now, as we come to the remaining half of his letter, we find that he now takes up the questions about which the church in Corinth had written to him. And mainly, he wants to deal with the following issues. In chapter 8, you'll find that he dealt with the, he will be dealing with the issue about food offered to idols. And then in chapter 12, there's the concern about spiritual gifts. Chapter 15, there's the resurrection of the date and ending off in chapter 16 regarding missionary offering. And so we find now in this rather long chapter, in chapter 7, Paul particularly now tackles on the principles concerning marriage. However, you find that his discussion on the topic has been widely misunderstood. Why? Because, you see, the widespread view was that Paul was someone who despised women and that Paul was someone who considered sex as defiling. But this, however, is a grossly inaccurate fact. The Apostle Paul was in no way against marriage, nor was he against women, as we shall see. In fact, when we read this passage, it's important for us instead to be mindful of the following points. That one, Paul was not writing a thesis on marriage, but rather he was merely responding to a set of questions that were posed to him by the Corinthian Christians. Two, there was absolutely no trace of contempt for women in his writing. And three, Paul was demonstrating here a remarkable mutuality between men and women in the marriage relationship considering the culture of the time. And so in order then for us to see the, how the discussion is being structured, it will be useful for us to view the overall outline in the following way. In the way as how Paul will counsel four groups of people. To the married Christians, to the unmarried Christians and widows, to the Christians married to unbelievers, and lastly, to Christians slated to be married or to the betrothed. And so we begin with Paul's thoughts regarding the Corinthian Christians marrying other Christians. And so with that, can I invite you to turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we look into the passage for us this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to go through different parts. And we're going to begin first from verse 1 to verse 7. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relation with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman 
her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. You see, the opening verse in this chapter reveals the very matter which the Corinthians were writing to Paul about. And it concerns this. He says, it is good for men not to have sexual relationship with a woman. Now, it is crucial for us to understand that this expression is never used to mean that a man ought to marry if he craves for sexual pleasure with a woman. Likewise, in the following up verse, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband does not infer here that those who are unmarried you should automatically go out and find spouses. You see, these two verses only make sense when we begin to recognize that Paul was speaking here not to the unmarried, but to those who were already married. You see, he is instructing the married couple to remain together and to maintain sexual relationship so as not to deprive one another. Now, we may say, this seems rather puzzling. Is this advice really necessary for Paul? I mean, do married couples in Korea need to be told not to renounce their sex life? Well, you find that the answer is yes. And there were three possible reasons. The first, as pointed out by Paul in verse 2, is the danger that one of them might be tempted outside of marriage into fornication. And the second reason is because some of the Corinthians, they were concluding here that sexuality was part of a fleshy, unspiritual existence. And they felt that being a Christian now means they need to renounce this pleasure in order to be holy in body and in spirit, as mentioned in verse 34. And where did they get all this reasoning? You see, this reasoning, as we are told earlier last week by Pastor Mabel, was because of the popular Greek philosophy or the Gnostic teaching that has greatly influenced the city. Now, we must bear in mind that this Corinthian Christian, they had no, you know, when they became a Christian, they had no tradition to hang on to. They had no guidelines that they can follow, unlike the Jews who had the Torah, you know, and unlike us modern Christians today where we have the Bible. So as they became Christian, they were inventing as they went along in their Christian life, they took along whatever was before them and they somehow integrated into their practice. And what this tells us, therefore, is that discipleship is so crucial to any new Christian. That discipleship is important in the Christian walk for any new believer. Because if this new believer comes to the faith and is not guided in the in the right word, he will stray away. The third reason that Paul talks about this has to do with celibacy, the gift of remaining unmarried. You see, apparently, the situation that lies behind this thinking was that some of the Corinthians holding to the belief that celibacy was a lifestyle that was more spiritual than marriage. And again, you'll find that this is the influence of the Gnostic teaching, which teaches that the married life was incompatible with their newfound spiritual identity in Christ. And so they concluded that celibacy was a necessity, and so they were willing to abstain from sex even though they were married. But Paul 
Mark stands very clearly. He tells the Corinthians in verse 6 and 7. He says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. And then he continues to say, But each has its own gift from God, one from one kind and one of another. And this gift that Paul was mentioning here is the gift of celibacy. You see, for Paul, celibacy is permitted, but it is not commanded. Why? Because not everyone has this unique gift. Being single does not determine if the person is spiritual or super-spiritual. It all depends on the will of God. And this is why Paul, from verses 3 to 5, he argues that both the husband and the wife, they should continue with this sexual relationship due to their conjunctal rights. Both have authority, verse 4, and both should not deprive one another, in verse 5. But Paul does make a concession. He says, if you look in verse 5, he says here that temporarily short-term abstinence from sex is permissible, but it must only be undertaken by agreement. And really the purpose for this is such that they allow you know, each other to devote themselves to a time of prayer, a time of coming before the Lord. But at the same time, Paul also further insists that they, after much prayer, they are to come back together so as to avoid the, temp, the danger of temptation. Why? Because the worry concern here is the abstinence from sex will lead to sexual immorality. Moving on then to verse 10 and to 11, we find that Paul further adds this instruction to those who are married. Reading from verse 10, he says, To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And her husband should not divorce his wife. Now, we find here that this time, the instruction from Paul to his readers is very straightforward. To those who are married, divorce is never the answer. Divorce should never be in the mindset. Divorce should never ever be in the thinking. And as mentioned earlier, it is due to the preference towards celebrity that some of the Corinthians here, they were seeking a way of escape and they chose it by the means of divorce. But true to the tradition taught by Jesus, and as I've already read in Mark chapter 10, verse 2 to 12, as well as what the Bible teaches in the Old Testament law, we find that Paul forbidden divorce. He told the Corinthians, no divorce. And although we find here that the different verbs like separate, and divorce are used, there are really no difference in the legal effect of the act, unlike our modern-day distinction. For Paul, he reckons the possibility that some in the community may not obey this rule, and that nevertheless, they will still end up divorced. So we find that Paul adds here in verse 11 his own proviso to the Lord's commandment. He says in verse 11, but if she does, referring to separate from the husband, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And based on this verse, if the wife does not terminate the marriage, then she is to remain single. And what is the sole purpose? The sole purpose is that through the partner's Christian witness, it will eventually lead to some kind of reconciliation. But church, note also that though Paul does not mention the husband, but in view of the symmetry of his teaching, this norm should be also assumed to the husband as well. Meaning to say the husband must not 
divorce his wife as well. And again, the reasoning is very clear. Because divorce is nothing than a legalized form of adultery. Divorce in the eyes of God is a grave sin. Why? Because marriage is a covenant that is ordained by God and we should take this seriously, especially for those of us who are getting married. Next, as we look into verse 8 and 9, we find that Paul now addresses to a different group within the faith community. He addresses now to the the unmarried and the widows. And it appears here that Paul seems to classify himself within this group, telling them to remain as I am. So some commentators seem to say that Paul was someone who was not married, but we are not sure. But whatever the case, we find that his recommendation to those who are unmarried and to the widows is simply this. You are to remain single. And we find that this counsel is accompanied by another important qualifier. Paul further says that to those of you who are unmarried, if you want to seek marriage, and for the widows, you know, if you want to remarry, you can do so only if you cannot exercise self-control. And Paul is giving this instruction. Why? Because he's concerned that the widows and the widows might find themselves lured into some kind of illicit uh, sexual activity due to their passion and so end up in sin. And so Paul concluded, though you should remain single, but if you seek, if you cannot exercise that self-control, then go ahead and be married again. So as you read into this verse, we must be careful not to infer that Paul was damning marriages. No way. All right? So he, he covered those who are the Christians who are married. He covered those unmarried Christians. And now, as we look at verses 12 to 16, in this next section, Paul confronts now mixed marriages. And so let's follow Paul's thoughts as we look from verses 12 to verse 16. Verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has, her, has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with him, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. And verse 15, But if the unbelieving partner separates, Paul says, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, evidently, as we look into this particular section, we find there's a prevailing problem within the community that requires a pastoral direction. And to help us understand the background, we find here that there were some members of the Christian community that upon conversion, after they had been married, but unfortunately, not so for their spouse. That despite being married and they were converted to Christ, their spouse were not following the same path. And as a result, they were facing here this difficult time at home. And so they were asking Paul, can therefore my marriage, you know, Paul, can can my marriage therefore continue? Or can I use this as an excuse for divorce? And what was Paul's reply? Again, if you look with me to verse 12 to 13, Paul's reply was this. He says that if any brother, and may I add 
sister has a wife or a husband who is an unbeliever and she or he consents to live with him or her, he or she should not divorce him or her. In other words, what Paul is saying is simply this, that the believing individual ought to remain with the unconverted mate so long as they are willing to live with each other. You see, the point Paul is making is simply this. Salvation does not alter the marriage state. And since marriage is basically a physical relationship, it can only be broken by a physical cause. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear. There is only adultery, that it is only death, that these are the two causes that can break a marriage. And so we find here that Paul was once again very consistent in his insistence that the fundamental reason for the couple to remain together is that the Christian partner can be that positive spiritual influence to the unsaved partner. So let this be an encouragement for those of us in such a situation, that when you are in a mixed marriage, Stay with your partner. Be that salt and light. Be the one that will lead your spouse into the faith. You are to bloom where you are planted. But what about children? What about children if there were any in the marriage after a divorce? And again, we find here, Paul mentioned in verse 14, the emphasis is really on the influence on the godly partner. You see, the problem with many of us is this. We are prone to think uh, that a change in circumstance is always the answer to our problems. When something happens we cannot solve, we, we always argue, change the situation. And so what we do? We take the path of divorce. And if it's not a marriage issue, but some tension within the community, we change church. But here's the thing that we often ignore. The problem is usually within us and not around us. As the saying goes, the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. And so Paul urges in verse 16 that in any broken relationship, the aim is always restoration and forgiveness. Divorce should never be entertained Divorce should never even be considered as the last resort. As another saying goes, the only people who, prof who profit from divorce are the attorneys. Moving on to verse 15, we find now Paul presents another mixed marriage scenario. And this is the possibility of the unbelieving partner leaving home. Meaning to say, the unbelieving partner decides to live uh, to, 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 to move away from his spouse or her spouse. What then? Well, Paul argues that in this instance, let it be so. Let it be, he says. In other words, the Christian is now, if you are a Christian and your unbelieving spouse happened to leave you, Paul says you're not obligated to keep the home together as the decision of the partner to leave is out of your hands. Yes, we are called to keep the peace. But sometimes, you know, there comes a situation where peace is impossible to achieve. And when that happens, you can't do anything. And in this instance, Paul says, it's all right. It's not your fault. But then does this separation give the Christian the right and the opportunity to remarry? Another concern that we need to consider. Now, you find that Paul, in this verse, in this passage, says nothing about whether the one who has been abandoned, the person is free to remarry again. If you look very closely, Paul's major concern all the while is to prevent the partner from initiating a divorce. And even if there is a divorce, remember that reconciliation, not separation, must always be the outcome. And in this scenario, if the unbelieving partner ends up marrying another, 
This would constitute to adultery and give ground for a divorce. So we find, therefore, that divorce and remarry are only legitimate on occasion where there is an adultery or death of the spouse. And I say again, in such cases, one is then free to remarry again. And as you can see, uh, church, mixed marriages are messy. Mixed marriages are a problem for the church. Mixed marriages are a headache for pastors like us. Why? Because they create all sorts of problems. So for those of us, let me pastor, pastorally encourage you, if you are in any relationship with someone who's not a Christian, let me pastorally encourage you. If you want to move into the path of marriage, please ensure that your partner is first a Christian. I can't stop you if you want to continue in this relationship. But as I've already pointed out to you, it will create a lot of problems, messy problems within the church. And the only way, the only way we can deal with this smoothly is when your partner, you ensure that your partner comes to know Jesus and becomes a Christian. Finally, in this closing section of this chapter, Paul takes up a final point as he brings up one last group of people. And this time, he brings up to his readers those concerning the betrothed. Now, we don't have the time to read this entire section, but in summary, let me just uh, 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 put it in summary for you, that Paul in this section was referring to the virgins, the young woman that was slated to be married. And the question raised is to determine whether they may go ahead with their marriage or are they obliged to remain single. And Paul's answer revealed the same pattern as we have seen in all the other cases so far. He says in verse 26 and verse 28 that it is good for a person to remain as he is, meaning to say you remain single. But if you do marry, he further adds in verse 28, you have not sinned. So not interestingly, that Paul was addressing to the young woman, but he was discussing the problem from the male point of view. Now, we find that this is one place where careful symmetry of Paul's writing kind of break down. But why should the unmarried remain unmarried? Paul presents these three reasons. Beginning in verse 26, where he alluded to the present distress. So he's telling those of you who are preparing to get married, well, you can get married, but I would advise you not to get married because of these few reasons. First reason is this, because of the present distress. What is this present distress? It is the present circumstances that was over at the city of Corinth. And we know that Corinth was a very difficult situation, was a difficult city with all sorts of false teachings going on, resulting in both political as well as economic pressure. And Paul is saying, coupled with the wicked lifestyle and the many bad influence, Paul is saying, it is therefore better for you not to be married. Why? Because you will then have no time to serve the Lord. But we must not conclude that Paul is implying that marriage, uh, that those who are married are to seek a divorce. No. Remember, his counsel here is for those who are unmarried. Paul is saying that those who have made the choice to be married, you go ahead, you can be married, but you must be ready, therefore, to accept the trials that will come along with it. And so he mentions in verse 28, of the worldly troubles, these are the second reason why he, why he alluded, why, 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 he, why he tells the, those who are getting married, be careful. If you want to get married, you better think twice because of the worldly troubles. And he explains these worldly troubles in verses 32 to verse 35. The emphasis is on the word anxious. Anxious, mentioned five times in this segment. Paul says that in any marriage, it is possible for two persons, it is impossible for two persons to live together free from burdens. I think many of us who have been married for more than 20, 30 years, we, we can affirm to that. We will always face burdens. We will always face issues. 
And so Paul is telling them that you better be careful. You want to get married, you won't be free from all these burdens. Why? Because marriage requires a measure of maturity. And age is no guarantee of this maturity. And in Paul's opinion, he compares to the unmarried man who is anxious about the things of the Lord, verse 32, against the married man who is anxious about worldly things like how to please his wife, verse 33. And so to be clear, Paul is not insinuating that a married man cannot serve God effectively. You can. Many of us here are married. We are serving the Lord faithfully. Kadiman is serving the Lord faithfully. Barry is serving the Lord faithfully. So a married person can serve the Lord faithfully. But what Paul is trying to tell us here is this, that you must be careful. Because when you marry, your interests can also be divided. Your family can be a cause of your distraction. And let me pastorally again stress this point, especially to those new parents in our midst. Beware. Beware that your child is not a distraction or an excuse for you for not serving or for that matter, not coming to church. I've seen many people who faithfully serve the church, but the moment they become a parent, the child takes center stage. The child becomes the main focus in their life and not God. So, let me once again repeat this, that those of us who perhaps are new parents or are going to be new parents, please be careful that your child does not take center stage, that your child is not a distraction from you, from serving God or from coming to church. And the next reason that Paul tells those who are slated to be married to think twice is because he mentioned in verse 29 that the appointed time. And the appointed time here refers to the return of the Lord. And Paul highlights that the appointed time has grown very short, meaning to say it will soon come upon us. And with this reasoning, he says it is better that you don't seek a husband or a wife. It is better, therefore, you should focus, more importantly, on key spiritual issues than to invest inappropriately to other affairs of life. And finally, Paul offers the last reason why these people should remain single is because he mentions in verse 39 and 40 that marriage is for life. It is God's design that marriage should be permanent that marriage is a lifelong commitment. You see, there is no such thing as a trial marriage. He says that a wife, verse 39, a wife is bound to a husband as long as he lives. And for this reason, marriage must be built on things that are sturdier than good looks, money, sex, craving, or even social acceptance. In its place must be commitment, character, and maturity. If these things are lacking, it is preferable that the person remains single and so to avoid the problems that flow from a failed marriage. So in summary then, from this rather long chapter of Paul, we find that Paul is saying that it is a good thing for you to be married if you want to be married because it is originated from God. Paul also says that it is a good thing if you opt not to do so. For those married to non-believers, Paul says divorce is not an option. Divorce is not to be considered as the answer is always reconciliation. Paul's argument to remain in the relationship is so that you can be a light so that you can be that, that person to lead your unbelieving spouse to Christ. And as to the issue of remarrying, the Bible is clear. Paul says the individual is to remain single. The only ground is when your partner dies 
or when your partner commits an act of adultery. That is the only cause for us to be able to remarry again. Let us pray. So Father, we want to thank you that as we look into this rather long passage on the principles of marriage, perhaps some of us here are your words have been spoken to us. And so, Father, I just want to just come before you. And that, Lord, even if some of us may be in this situation where we are guilty of, yeah, being in this situation, Father, we just want to come before you and ask for your repentance. We ask, Lord, if we have not done what is expected of us, Lord, will you forgive us, cleanse us. I pray, Lord, that these words that have been spoken will continue to just resonate deep into our hearts. And the Lord, you will speak to us knowing that you are a God who is caring, a God who will always is compassion, and that when we turn to you, you will be there for us. So help us as we continue to live a life that is positive. May our marriage life be one that will always be guided through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have this response song as we prepare ourselves for Holy Communion. Church, let us worship in this song of response. times I fail, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all faith. Above all else, my purpose remains The art of losing myself In bringing you praise Everlasting, your light will shine When all else fades Never ending, your glory goes beyond all faith and my heart and my soul I give you control Consume me from the inside out, Lord Let justice and praise Become my embrace To love you from the inside out Everlasting Your light will shine when all else fades Never ending your glory goes beyond all faith and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out lord my soul cries out everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out, everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all faith 
and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out lord my soul cries out we thank those who are tuning in online as we say goodbye to you but for the rest of us who are here in the sanctuary can i once again invite you to refer to the screen as we continue on in our holy communion service with the